Are you ready to grow your business by building relationships online and offline? Are you looking for a system to attract new prospects and nurture your past clients? Maybe you're a business owner, a sales professional, or an entrepreneur. If you are, then great. Join me, Janice Porter, as we blast past your barriers to success and explore the power of relationships for your business. And welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Relationships Rule. My guest this week is coming to us from Northern California, and I'm so excited to talk to her. You know, it's it's unbelievable, actually, how many things have happened in common with us since we met. Her name is Nori Jabba. Please welcome me, welcome her to the show with me. Welcome, Nori. Nice to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Well, it started, it all really started with me getting a message from Nori's um, publicist because she's just become a best-selling author. She's written a book and we're going to dig in and talk about that today. But what's so strange is um, I said, well, I don't know if I will have Nori on my podcast. I have to talk to her first because I like to meet people before it feels like it's the right thing to do. And of course, um, Nori's uh, publicist said, of course, she'd be happy to meet with you. Well, we never stopped talking, did we? From the minute we we started, and there were so many things that came up for us that were, um, I don't know, similar, or the fact that you know Vancouver was like so exciting to me that you called it your second home. It is my second home and yeah. my favorite place on earth. Well, so right away, how could I not have you on my podcast, right? It was just, it was a given, but we just hit it off right away. And so I'm very excited to share um, Nori with my audience here. So Nori wrote this book called Keeping Your Seat at the Table, which is really part memoir and part guidebook. And I love the style that that you write in, Nori, and that you you actually are sharing a lot of you in this book. And so I can see where it's like it's your journey to where you are, but it's also a lot of food for thought around women, middle, middle age women, really 40 plus women, not I won't say middle age, I'll say 40 plus. And and the things that have that we experienced that we weren't expecting. So I'd like to ask you first, you know, how did you come to, to write this book? Because it's really quite interesting, the way it's written and what it's about. Oh, thank you. So I wrote it kind of as therapy, venting, <laughs> and as an outlet for my frustration in dealing with job hunting as a middle-aged woman. And the book's really designed for women over 40, even though I'm over 50. But I learned that women in their 40s face this just as much as women in their 50s. And I really started facing it in my 40s. Um, and it just gets worse and worse and worse as we age. And I just, I just couldn't put up with it anymore. And I had to stop job hunting. I actually just gave it up and decided to write a book about my journey. And then I decided, well, enough of this, I'm going to start my own company if nobody's going to hire me. So I started this 
had this concept to start this company and joined an incubator program um, and a coaching program to help me get motivated to do that while writing the book. And I thought, oh, this will be great. I'll write this book, Keeping Your Seat at the Table, about a woman who wasn't hired and started her own company and did amazing things. And through the process, I decided not to start the company, tabled that idea, if you will, <laughs> and decided to just focus on writing the book. And lo and behold, in writing the book, I did get a job and I'm very happy with that now. I'm actually on my second job since I started writing the book. I was stolen by another company. And Which, by the way, I think is your dream job, right? I love it. I'm yeah. so happy. And, you know, there's so much more to unpack with that too. But yeah, I just got fed up and I, it started depleting my self-esteem. I wasn't feeling good about myself, which everybody knows, you know, if you're not feeling good about yourself, you're not going to come across well in an interview. And I just needed to take a step back. But I also wanted to research what was happening. So I decided to make this a project and do some interviewing and some researching on why it's so hard for middle-aged women to get jobs. So I interviewed an HR director at one of the companies that declined to hire me. And she said, yes. And we had coffee and I asked her, why is it so hard for middle-aged women? And she just completely opened up with me um, in a, the most honest, transparent way. And it was really brave of her to do that because for she sure. said that we're kind of uncomfortable. And I'm grateful to her for that. And it really started me on this journey of learning more and more and more. So that can you, can you share just like maybe in an overview of, of what the gist of it was? Yes. So anything or doing something, so a couple of things that I learned from her. Um, she said, you know, middle-aged women don't listen. And that was really a hard pill to swallow because I didn't want to listen to what she was telling me. <laughs> and I, I was really taken aback and a little offended. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness she was a middle-aged woman herself, or it probably would have gotten <laughs> off the table. But I decided to, you know, sit up straight, lean in and listen to what she had to say, because am I guilty of this? You know, I actually felt like I was doing exactly what she said mm -hmm. that middle-aged women do, because I didn't want to hear what she had to say. But I listened and said, you know, please tell me more. Mm -hmm. And it, it goes both ways. You know, young people sometimes don't listen to older people. But what she really explained to me was that sometimes we women have to fight so hard to get our place at the table. And especially when we are older and experienced and have that wisdom and we have so much to share that we do more sharing than absorbing. And so it really, I stepped back and thought, hmm, yeah, I am totally guilty of that. And hmm. especially I started thinking about an incident and I share it in the book where I was sitting at a table with a very important meeting with a bunch of men. I was either one, there were one other woman or maybe two at most. And I, instead of listening, because I kept being dismissed every time I opened my mouth or talked over, that I was looking for opportunities to jump in and not listening to what was being said, but jumping in and using it to my advantage to just be heard. Uh -huh. So, and, and yet it was a really important meeting and there were some valuable things that people were sharing. But I think so often as women, we are put in that position unfairly 
and we have to fight to be heard and not be dismissed. And so we have to we have to stop listening as a way to get ourselves heard. And so I really thought about that and thought, hmm, I need to become a, a better listener. And you know, I'm guilty of interrupting and pushing my way in because we have to be kind of forceful. So after that moment, I decided I'm going to really focus on being a better listener. And I am still actively working on that. And it's a, it's a lifelong journey, right? But mm-hmm. I appreciated what she said because I, I am a better listener because of it. Interesting. That's so interesting because yes, we have to, if we have to fight to be heard, then it, it it's such a, um, there's so much emotion, especially women, female. female. Yeah, it's it, that's right. It's all consuming when that it, it does affect that. And does it also, it made me think when you were talking, does it also, do you think she meant at all about the fact that if a middle-aged woman gets hired into a situation where the younger men or women are managing them that that is the that's where the issue comes absolutely Absolutely. and you know everybody can take from that message what works for them because Mm -hmm. there are so many nuances to it but for me I have been told you know, stop interrupting, listen a little bit more, you talk too much or whatever. So for me, that's how I used it to better myself. Interesting. For others, there might be um, something else. So the other thing that's also related to that is that um, older women, she told me, and I really think older men are in this category too, don't listen to young people. Mm-hmm. And there's a dismissiveness of those who are starting out in their careers. And I think young people are guilty of that too. You know, the mm-hmm. hey boomer and all of that, dismissing middle-aged people. And I, my kids have done that too with me. Like, give me your phone, mom, I'll teach you, right? And yeah. I've learned so much from them. Sure. Um, but I also, from that, really took it upon myself to actively embrace being mentored by younger people, not just mentoring younger people, but trying to learn from them. And I'll tell you that was so important to go through that journey because now in my job that I have now that I love, my boss is much younger than I am, decades. And I don't think I could have dealt with that effectively before I'd gone through this journey. So, you know, could you have a really young boss? I, it's, it's an interesting question. And when you get to a certain age, everybody's younger than you in the workplace. And I'm unemployable anyway. So like a long time ago, I learned, you know, I, I used to be a teacher and I loved teaching in my first life, but I didn't like the bureaucracy around it. And I was very young at the time. And, um, and then I realized when I left teaching I still wanted to teach, right? So then I did corporate training. And that's just another version of teaching kids because the same characters appear, right? When you train. I love corporate training. I love teaching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but I did it as a contractor because I didn't want to be locked into something. But then I had a lot to learn about business. So, you know, I've come different ways. I've learned from younger people too. And I'm actually inspired by the bright young people that, 
they've come from a completely different beginning and what they're doing with the world in some in some cases is amazing so you know there's a lot to learn from them too but hmm, so there's a there's a central theme in your book this is a question that that has come up that i know it sort of comes up in your book uh, as a secondary theme as the importance of relationships with others at the table and why is it so important to have them? And how does one go about building such a network? Because I know you have like specific people at your table that are your people, right? Is it like having your own board of directors or just, exactly. yeah, that's, okay. That's pretty much what it is. So the book is all about, you know, flipping the table, building your own. You already have a seat at the table, you're at the head and developing these strategic partnerships with others who sit at your table that you choose who's there. So you're not invited to the table, you're inviting others to your table. And so it's really shifting your view of success. But one of the things I learned in my journey is uh, I'm an extrovert. I have a lot of great connections. I worked in public affairs and community relations. And so I know a lot of people and have some really solid relationships. And I thought, oh, all of these connections will help me in my job hunt. Well, guess what? They didn't. They didn't. It didn't matter that I had a congressperson on my reference list and know his cell phone number and could call him at any time. It just didn't matter. So what was really um, kind of a shock to me was that my networking wasn't effective for me. And I know this is your job is to helping help people with their networking on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I had all these great connections, but I had to rethink them and develop new connections that were strategically designed to help me at this new table for myself, this board of directors, if you will, that I was creating. Okay, so back to the when you were looking for the job and you had all these connections, you know, my daughter just went the, through this process of looking for a new job and um, she's had to do it a couple of times and she's not an extrovert and she doesn't have a big network of people. I'm the one with the network. I'm the one with all the connections, but she wouldn't even listen to me, you know, so that didn't even count. But in the end, what happened, she had maybe... 200, I've got two, two parts to this. She had like 200 applications that she had put in for a job and, you know, had a few interviews. And in the end, she got a job finally after three months or something. And it turned out that the guy that she went through a first interview with this company. And then the second interview was with this, her manager, her boss, who it turned out she had worked for the same company as him several years ago. They never worked together, but they knew some of the same people. Mm -hmm. So, okay. She got that job over 200 applicants. I don't believe she was the best person for the job, but I believe the fact that he had connection with her made a difference. And I always say to people, it's not what you know, it's who you know. So what you're saying is kind of interesting to me because in your case, it didn't really help you. So it could have. And, you know, ultimately, when I look back at the job that I did get during the process was because I knew the, the executive director. Okay, okay. so that's, that's, yes. That, um, but that I hadn't, I hadn't reached out to her to tell her, 
hey, I am job hunting, please hire me. Yeah. It was because we had this organic relationship that we've had for 15 years. And she realized a need for her company and she reached out to me. And then the job that I have now, I got because of my relationships with the people that I was working with in my job. So mm -hmm. the connections do help. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess the ones that I thought that I could rely on to really open doors for me, that wasn't. Yeah. Okay. So I think your story about your daughter is so important too, because you sometimes aren't aware of how these connections are going to help you. Right. Right. So, exactly. so making sure that you really just think about all of these connections and understand that it's great to get the word out that you're job hunting, you know, people, mm -hmm. need mm -hmm. um, but but rethinking how you use your contacts. Well, and, and that, yeah. What, what you can do for them too. You know, one of your um, interviews that I listened to with Sam, I forget his last name. Sam Jacobs. Yeah, yeah. Sam Jacobs is, is stop thinking of it as a transaction, these relationships, you know, what can you do for me? What can I do for you? And if you start looking at it as what can I do for you that's genuine, um, suddenly people will, other people will do things for you. So, and that's, and, and just to, to build on that, I, I believe that. And it's also though, it's the law of reciprocity and it's not necessarily, you know, I do something for you and you do something for me. I do something for you out of the kindness of my heart and somebody else out there does something for me because that's how it works. It doesn't necessarily come back from where it was in the first place. And, and I think that gets misconstrued sometimes, but also, um, what was I going to say? Um, oh, that I think it's important with the connections that we have and the relationships that we build, we have to protect our relationships and be careful how we use them, right? Not to take advantage of them. Absolutely. And right. So for example, um, if I'm introducing you, the new, my new friend to someone I've known for a long time, I would want to make sure that this person in my connection base or community would be okay with me bringing someone to them. So I always want to make sure that that happens. I happen to know in these two cases, it'll be fine that you and I talked about before, but that's kind of, to me, it's about protecting your relationships with people so yeah. that they've, they, and loving on them every yes. once in a while, right? To keep them, um, to keep them in your circle. So, yeah, it's all it, to me. It's always about people. So that's that's where I'm coming from there. So there's a. I, I am curious about this. This was one of the questions you had on your sheet, but it's not why I'm asking it. It's because when I was reading your book, and um, each chapter begins with a hundred word summary. Now. I was tempted to count the words. I have to tell you. Count them. They are exactly. Yeah, I didn't because I thought, no, that's a waste of my time. But okay, so there you go. It is a hundred words. Why did you do that? I just love that whole thing. It's so much fun. So this um, really came to me through a friend of mine from college. His name is Grant Faulkner. And he is executive director of NaNoWriMo, which stands for National Novel Writing Month, which is an 
it's actually an international organization where you challenge yourself to write a novel in one month and it's held in the month of November and then they have other um, challenges throughout the year, but it's this challenge. And he also is the editor of the 100 Word Story, which is a book that comes out every year and everybody submits their 100 Word Story. And I talked to him about this and I just started doing this as an exercise for fun. It's almost like writing a poem or yeah. trying to write a short story. Or if you're, if you're a journaler, you can try to capture your thoughts. And I also would help my kids edit their papers after they'd written them because they had a 2,500 word max or whatever it was. Yeah. And trying to get it down under the limit. So I am, I was an English major. I just enjoy word cutting, I yeah. guess. It's, it, I'm quite yeah. nerdy. So I started doing these 100 word summaries as a way to really capture each, the essence of what I was trying to show and share with every single chapter. And it's, it's a fun game. It's a fun challenge. And it makes you realize how important every single word really is. And so I use this method a lot in my writing to try to, you know, if I'm writing a, a policy, what am I trying to say? Capture it in 100 words. And then you do, you can do it less than 100 words, but I prefer to do exactly 100 uh -huh. words. Okay, there you go. Okay. Just for the fun of it, because it is such a challenge to capture the essence in exactly 100 words. So there's a summary at each, it, at the beginning of each chapter, yes. and you can count them. They okay. are exactly 100 words. <laughs> I love it. And then I, I am also curious as to how you came up with the, um, you know, the metaphor of the table, because as, as is shown throughout the story, there's so many different places and ways to use it. But I'm curious how you came up with that. So I was actually at a women's leadership conference. It was a one-day conference. And one of the speakers was talking about keeping your seat at the table or getting your seat at the table and how women need to have that seat at the table. And I just started brainstorming about how fun that word is and how we use it. And there's just so much you can do with it. And my chapters in the book are all about you know the metaphor of the table mm -hmm. and, and how we use it you know don't get pulled under the table and yeah. on the table and and I think it's time to think of it in a broader way and when I was doing my job hunt that was the message that came through to me loud and clear with my journey is that the table is so much more than just having a seat at the corporate table of success and this image we have of the table. And, you know, it's, it's essential to humanity. The table is where we love, where we learn, where we ask hard questions and have tough conversations, where we socialize and nourish ourselves and our souls. And so why am I just so stuck on having a seat at this corporate table? So I really, I use the journey to we to shift my view of success and view of the table to be much more about life fulfillment rather mm. than just a corporate seat at mm -hmm. the table and feeling like I'd made it. Yeah, that's awesome. You and you share a lot of things in this book about you know being a mom and and dealing with um, clutter and 
yes. things that have come from, from your family and things like that. One of the chapters is called Don't Table Yourself, Chapter 5, and it's about staying relevant. And, um, and we talked just briefly earlier about, you know, older women perhaps not listening well and things like that, but we need to stay relevant. Yes. Um, how are you staying relevant? Well, so in writing this book, I realized I have so much I need to learn and we have to stay on top of things. You know, you have to know the, the current technology. And mm -hmm. as we get older, it's more and more overwhelmed. There's more. And, you know, we weren't born with eye, with watches on our wrists that yeah. connected us to the world. We were born in a different time. Yeah. And I watch my mom and seniors who are literally left behind and isolated because they can't use a smartphone to call an Uber mm -hmm. or it's just, it, it's just too hard for them to do it. And sometimes I've been in meetings and I've heard an older person say, oh, I'm way too old for that. And I realized, yes, you are. So I am not going to be that person. I need to stay on top of it all and learn everything and not be intimidated or overwhelmed by it. And so, you know, I rely on younger people to mm -hmm. help me learn that and make sure that I know all the current technology that, that is relevant for my job. You know, just being able to say, I'm going to take that course or I'm going to learn about, go on LinkedIn Learning. LinkedIn Learning is incredible what they have, all these courses that you can take. And as part of the book, I did research on resources for learning new skills. And I went to NovaWorks, which is the job training center in our metropolitan area here. But every in the U.S. and probably in Canada, too, all of the metropolitans have these job training centers and they're free and you can go and they will help you assess your skills and figure out what you need to learn and they will help you get those skills. So um, as an older woman in the workplace, middle-aged, I don't like to be called older, but no, there's for sure. Um, we, we need to make sure we stay on top and learn all these new things. So always staying open to learning new things and not being intimidated is really, really important. And that's why having younger people at your table is important too, because right. they can show you the way or teach you a new thing. How often have I been at work and um, somebody needed help with Excel? And I said, oh, you just do it this way. And I'd sit down and show them, or they would do the same for me. I learned how to how to change these page breaks that I couldn't get rid of in Word, you know, by watching a YouTube video on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> by a 12-year-old, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've just got to keep learning to stay well. It's so true. Um, but it's funny, you know, when you said old, we're I, you know, I'm older than you, but I don't consider myself old anymore. I'm just getting started. <laughs> yeah. So, but when I see like over the last couple of days on CNN, two very smart, very old people kind of lose it on in front of, uh, you know, the, the world. Yes. That's scary because they didn't know when to stop and move away. I think especially Diane Feinstein, that was pretty scary. Yeah. You know, sure. but, you know, and well, and Mitch McConnell, but, you know, it, you just, I mean, they're brilliant people, but they've gone past you know, they're, well, we won't get into politics because I know there's more to that story as well, right? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. When is, you know, as we age, and if you are going to be working into your 80s like those two, you better know what's going on in the world and know the new technology and be able to use the communication systems that people use in this day and age. You know, I I don't want to tweet, but I am learning now it's called X. Um, learning how to do it and trying to embrace it because that's what authors use. Ah, okay. My, my daughter told me, oh, mom, you've got to do a video on TikTok. TikTok has this book talk channel that oh. all the authors are using. So I am learning how to do that as well. That's interesting because that I didn't know. So, so how did your daughter know that? Like, is she into um, the same world as you. I know she's into TikTok, obviously, but how did not, she? Not at all. I mean, every young person in there, I have three daughters in their 20s and they know all of this. It's just they're born with it. Right? Yeah, true. Born with it. But no, my this particular daughter um, works in launching people in their music careers. So oh, okay. she knows how to do that. And sure, of course. TikTok is, of course, very important for yes, in her music world. careers. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Um, So we discovered something about this, but I want to ask you about this. Your career path has been what you described as squiggly lines instead of an upward arrow pointing to success. And you expressed how important it is to make peace with your journey. So we discovered that that term was something I recognized with someone who'd been a guest on my podcast um, a few years ago, actually. Um, but so what did that mean to you? And, and and can you tell us a little bit more about that? First, I can't wait to read her book, yeah. Angela, yeah. Camp, Angela Camp, Camp. Lyons yeah. book. Angela Camp. Yeah. We're soul sisters, for sure. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, um, I got a master's degree two years out of, of undergrad and had this had this path for myself mapped out and it was an arrow going straight up and you know I moved up quickly and had this wonderful job and I really thought I was going to be in the C-suite that's what I had um, envisioned for myself and it didn't happen and it's okay it's okay but it took me until now to make peace with the fact that it didn't happen. And I made the conscious choice not to make it happen when I tabled the job, the company that I was going to start. And, you know, I've had my consulting business and been called myself president for 10 years or more. And so I've had that, but it's not the same as starting a company, a, a large company. Yeah. Um, but having a squiggly lined career has given me a richness and opportunities and opened new doors for me that I never would have had if I just kept on that arrow and continued on my corporate career path. And I didn't because I wanted to be home with my kids. And it was, frankly, it was just too hard. I had an hour and 20 minute each way commute and with two babies, that is really, really hard. And, you know, kids get ear infections and you have to, we would have 3 a.m. conversations with quotes, more like fights over whose job was more important and who oh, could yes. be, who could not, who could miss work the next day to stay home with the kid. And that was before remote work was really a possibility. And mm-hmm. so thank goodness the world has adjusted yes. and we can be um, parents and deal with 
aging parents. And, you know, now I have to take my mom to the doctor a lot and take time off to do that. But the, the world has changed. Um, but the squiggly lines, it, it was really hard for me to accept that I didn't do what I set out to do when I was in my 20s. And is it too late? And so the book is really about shifting my view of success and really making peace with those wonderfully squiggly lines, squiggly line of curvy line is so much more interesting than a straight line. Anyway. Yes, of course, of course. And I think, and think to have launched three daughters whom I know had busy um, high school careers in, in sports and music or whatever, like there's always, it was always one going somewhere, right? Or three, or all going in three different directions. So um, to be able to say, hey, you know, they turned out okay, I think is-, is They turned out anything. wonderful. Yeah, I'm so proud nice. of all of them. And yeah, but those squiggly lines for me, um, and I'm still making peace with it. Don't get me wrong. I've made peace, yeah. but it's a it's an ongoing process. Um, but yeah, it's okay. It's okay to have squiggly lines. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I you know, because mine didn't go the way it was I thought it would go either, but it's all good. Um, okay, so coming we're coming close to the end and and I I wanted to um, share um, that I saw in here that you were an avid reader and that you fell off the wagon a little bit because other things get in the way as they do. And I know I shared with you um, before we went on air that, you know, I love to read too, and I'm always buying books, but they sit in a pile because, you know, I sit and watch something on Netflix at night instead because I've been in front of a screen all day and now my eyes really hurt and I don't want to look at a book, but I don't want to look at it on a Kindle either. I don't like that. I would rather have the book. And so you have in one of these chapters that you um, that you like audiobooks, but what I wanted to get to was date night. your book bucket list. Oh, book bucket list. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's a long list. And yes. There's pressure because, you know, how am I going to read all of those books? But so I went to a liberal arts college and read for four years straight, need glasses because I read so much during that time. But after college, I couldn't touch a book for a, a long time. And I think yeah. that's very typical. Yeah. We work hard in school and we need a break. And if you've done anything with a lot of reading in college, you do need a break. And so I started reading again. Um, in my late 20s and 30s but then I had kids and you know who has time to read when you're working and juggling a family there's no way so I discovered audiobooks and I can multitask and walk while I or exercise while I'm listening to podcasts too or yeah. audiobooks and I just love it and I started doing this during COVID and I would find that I would be excited and couldn't wait to get out on my walk because I couldn't put the book down you know oh, that's my, very, my very first audiobook was Trevor Noah's Born a Crime oh okay and I love listening to audiobooks that are narrated by the author and my book is narrated by yeah. the author that's so, so exciting yeah, yeah so you've but got the audio version now this yes but audiobooks are a wonderful way to help check off those bucket list books and I can't wait to continue. You know, I love to get out of my walks because. What's the last one that you listened to? Oh, my goodness. Um, I have listened to so many. And my, my last, <laughs> you'll laugh. My last one was how to give a TED talk. 
Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. And it was fabulous. Okay. Fabulous. And I I also recently listened to Jay Shetty's book about okay. the eight love signs. That okay. was a really good one too. So when you wrote this book, you had you were just going to read, I love the titles, I mean the cleverness, losing my virginity and finding my virginity yes. Richard Branson. Right. And those I read hard copy. Okay. Okay. And he didn't narrate them. Um, okay. I do. They are actually on my list to do the audiobook because those two books were probably two of the most inspiring books I have mm. ever read. And Richard is just, he is my hero. He is at my table. I hope I can meet him someday. Oh, wow. I really, really do. And I met these two women who worked for him. And they worked as masseuses for him on Necker Island when he would hold retreats. And they were they were the people that did the massage for everybody yes. who were taking breaks in their <laughs> corporate retreat. I don't know what it was, but well, at any rate, I felt like, oh my gosh, you you know him. So I have this connection to Richard, but I have a deep connection with him. I quote his his talk with his granny. in the book and because his granny was 99 and she said you know the best years of my life have been in my 90s and what a wonderful way to look back on your life that now as an old woman she is happier than she's ever been and I shared that with my mother and she burst out laughing (laughs) and said no not the experience she's had so I heard someone else say that Carol Burnett Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. I aspire to be that kind of old woman that that looks at my later years as the best years of my life. So, Fantastic. That, that was Richard who inspired me. So, so just so you know, I have a connection to him too. There's you do? Yes. Yeah, so a good a friend of mine, Jordan Adler, who is um, uh, an affiliate with the, a company I'm with. He's a an amazing um, network marketer and uh, speaker and author, and he is on the list that he paid money to go to space with Richard Branson. Okay. So he's already gone to Necker Island a couple of times with the group of people that are going on this mission when, when their time comes, because the first one went up with this, with all the, you know, just Richard and crew. And so they're getting ready. So, yeah. So he's, um, and he speaks, he shares experiences at, you know, the, at the, at Richard's home with us about it. And it's very fascinating. He's an amazing man. And yeah. anybody who has ever seen those books knows what a commitment that is because they are not short books. They are very fast, okay. Okay. You know, 450, 500 pages wow. each, um, but really highly recommend them. But, you know, what he taught me is that anything's possible. Yeah, just his journey of starting Virgin Records and how it all came together. It, there was no plan. You know, there was yeah. just it just happened. And he he is the kind of person that just jumps at an opportunity when it presents itself, and nothing's impossible to him. And right? Doesn't he say? Doesn't he say? Say yes, and then figure it out later. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. 
Well, this has been wonderful talking to you. And I'm so excited because your book is fairly new. Yes, it's yes. quite new. And you're um, getting out there talking to people about it. And I'm sharing it with people by doing this. I hope that you'll get some more people um, uh, listening and, and reading your book. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel so blessed to have met you. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. And maybe if you have one last pearl of wisdom for my audience, that would be awesome. So if you want a seat at the table, remember that you already have it. You just have to build out your table. Mm, Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to my audience for being here. And if you like what you heard, please um, uh, leave a review. Oh, and in the show notes, I will put the information for where you can find Nori and find her book so that you can read it too. And and I have a website for the book. It's called keepingyourseat.com. And the book is on Amazon as well. And I'm on LinkedIn, Nori Java. I'm the only one in the world. And I hope to hear from some of your listeners. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Remember to stay connected and be remembered. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If this show has inspired you to reach out to connect to someone new or nurture a current or past relationship, and you think that others can benefit from listening, please share this episode. If you have feedback or questions about the episode, please leave a note in the comment sections below. If you would like to receive automatic updates of new podcast episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or from the podcast app on your mobile device. Ratings and reviews from my listeners are extremely valuable to me and greatly appreciated. They help the podcast rank higher on iTunes, which exposes my show to more awesome listeners like you. So if you have a minute, please leave an honest review on iTunes. And remember to stay connected and be remembered.